So this week's Nerdables, we're talking Man of Steel. We're going to give you our review. Um, I'm warning you right now, if you haven't seen the movie, don't listen to this episode yet. There are a lot of spoilers in it. But we're going to give you um, what we think of the movie, and we're going to give you our grade. This is the first time we're actually grading a movie. Get those nerds! 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 Welcome, my nerdy brethren, to Nerdables. This is episode nine. This is our Man of Steel review show, and I'm joined by Ethan Benjamin and Travis Jones. Travis, you saw the movie, what, opening weekend? I did do that. Yeah, I did too. Um, Sucker. Sucker? (laughs) Wait, really? You're saying I'm a sucker for seeing Man of Steel opening weekend? Yes. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Ethan had to wait till the crowds died down so he could feel more comfortable in the theater. No, I had to wait because all you other assholes decided to go without me. (laughs) Well, Okay, that's true. I didn't even bother asking him. I just went. Yeah. I don't live close enough to care. Yeah, all right. Whatever. You should care either way. What'd you think of it? Uh, At this point, I really, really liked it. I'm going against half of the reviewers and uh, critics and a lot of fanboys. I really enjoyed it. I liked it. There were some moments in it. Of course, with just about every movie of this summer, there's moments in it that you go, I could have done without that, or that could have been developed a little bit better, or they could have just left the damn thing out of the piece altogether. Yeah, I mean, I, I still had some some issues, some pretty heavy issues with it. Uh, but overall, I think it's a... Uh, really good reboot to Superman. And I think a lot like uh, the Batman reboots when we started doing The Dark Knight. The first one, Batman Begins, I loved and adored, and I thought it was really good, but it still had some holes and still had some issues. And then by the time Chris Nolan hit number two and gave us freaking Joker, then it was just, I mean, nothing could beat that. So I think this is a really good kickoff back into a reboot for the new DC universe of Superman. And uh, hopefully it only goes up from here. Well, see, here's what I, I – I think it's the best Superman movie ever made, I, I, hands down. It just – to me it had – so? huh? Okay, well, so? let's put it I up do. against what, – what is it up against? Uh, as far as Superman movies? Yes. Well, the original with Christo- uh, Christopher Reeves. Actually, okay. not, I wouldn't say the original, but you know the, the 78 version with uh, Christopher Reeves. Okay. Um, and I would put it up against you know Superman two. I wouldn't Superman three, four, and Returns. They were just they were bad installments to me. Okay. Uh, you know Richard Pryor is as great as Richard Pryor is. Superman three was just a horrible horrible. Oh come on, film. that's a joke of a movie. We don't even need to reference it. Right. Superman four tried to redeem itself a little bit, but didn't. It just came off flat. You know the whole the whole Messiah Superman in Return just to me did not work. Actually, you know what I I that movie I kind of feel bad for because you feel bad. Why did you make it? You son of a bitch. No, Brandon Roush never got to be Superman. He got to be Christopher Reeves playing Superman. That's very true, and he did a brilliant job doing an homage to him, especially when he was playing Clark Kent. He did a brilliant job as being Clark Kent, Superman, of Christopher, being Christopher Reeves. He did not get to actually be Clark Kent or Superman. And for that matter— Well, no, I, I, I get what you're saying, but I think more of what you're trying to say is that he didn't get to do his own original take on it, he was more playing an homage towards what Christopher Reeves had done. Right. Even even Kevin Spacey was being Gene Hackman. You know, there was a lot of times when uh, I was I watching don't, that. I don't think that very much, no. I, I think the, that Kevin Spacey did his own thing. Now, whether the character was written to be very much like what Gene Hackman had done, had done that's, that's different. Um, but I think Kevin Spacey did his own thing. I mean, keep in mind... Superman Returns was basically a rehash of, you know, the original Superman with Christopher Reeves. Right. It was yeah. kind of like, let's go on to Superman 5 movie. You know, it, it would seem to try to follow that same storyline. But 
you know, th- this new one, it they went back, they rebooted it, they said we're going to go ahead and, you know, in a sense, kind of follow what the new 52's done, and we're going to take our own story and, and just write it and give our, you know, keep to the original to a degree, but we're going to change certain aspects of it. Well, uh, from what I've read online and from what I've uh, heard and discussed with other folks in the industry is that uh, David Goyer actually wrote two scripts. He wrote, you know, Man of Steel 1 and Man of Steel 2, and then they sandwiched the two together and made it fit into one movie and basically did a reboot of, all right, let's do the origin story of Superman and then let's do the first, uh, you know, major uh, – complication on earth for him do you think it was a good idea that they've waited this long because you know there's been that talk of kevin smith was supposed to be doing one and then we were supposed to have nicholas cage playing superman and all this other blah 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 that i'm glad that they waited to at least have you know after batman to since batman got to be done correctly well with batman i mean it was a very very specific you know if you look at the way Christopher Nolan's Batman works, how the character is written, how the world is portrayed and how the world plays out and how they do everything with it. I don't think there's any way that that Batman universe can coexist with the rest of the Justice League. Well, see, and that's what I was just going to get at when as soon as you said that it made me think about the Justice League. I don't see this Superman or that Batman really fitting into a Justice League type environment. Uh, I think you very much have the beginnings with this Man of Steel film. You very easily can, with the next Superman film and then moving forward, easily, easily go into a honest, serious, realistic Justice League universe. If DC is going to try to pull what Marvel has done, and let's be honest, Marvel has been kicking DC's ass all over the place recently with what they've done with their superhero universe and their movie universe and where they're going in that direction. They, they've they been playing it pretty brilliantly so far. Oh, yeah. DC has DC's been blown out of the water completely, you know, and especially when you're coming off of Green Lantern. Yeah. You know. But with with this new Man of Steel film, I mean, starting to starting to get into like what this film is and and how we see it i mean you're looking at uh, a a character who's somewhat a nomad and is very much an alien you know in our world and trying to find his place and being an outcast and being different and by the end of the film finally kind of finding his place and his place being still very alien to everyone else but finding his place as, okay, I'm going to be this person. I am going to be this, you know, man who stands up for everything. And the progress of the character is such that he's put in a position where he's going to have to be, you know, the superhero. Uh, And that being the case, I think we very much have the openings to what can become a, a whole series of DC films. Now you can plug in, a Green Lantern, a Wonder Woman, a Flash, uh, another Batman. I, I don't think that original Batman, because if you look at the the Nolan Batman, he's a very dark, very brooding, very solo. Uh, they, they even tied up the series with, you know, depending on whether you want to start getting Inception or not on it. But at the end, you have Bruce off doing his own thing and uh robin blake uh possibly taking up the mantle right and so you know so with that batman and that world and the way they did it in that style um it doesn't seem to me personally that it lends itself to an open world universe kind of party whereas this superman they're kind of like hey i mean they're they're putting him on the i mean the, the massive scale of action and destruction we realize how strong and powerful this guy is. Uh, he, he's putting himself on the map. He's kind of starting to take up that, I'm your friend, I'm here to help you, I'm not the bad guy, proves himself as such, and is kind of setting himself up as the leader. So now you can start putting pieces around him and build a Justice League. Right. Well, see, and the one thing that I think that this does have its saving grace over Batman um, being in a Justice League universe is Krypton. Establishing that alien environment the way they did gave it more of a realistic feel than what we had with Green Lantern. 
Green Lantern felt like a cartoon brought to you know live action, whereas this Krypton we got to see an alien world, we got to see you know life, death, tragedy, got to see even some of the alien you know creatures that or, you know the beast of burden basically, that will lend itself to creating an alien environment for the rest of the DC world or the universe. But I still think that you know I I totally agree with you on the on the Batman side of it. The Batman movies, the the Nolan trilogy, they're their own entity. They're to me they're too much of a realistic take on the Batman universe to be brought into the DC universe. Well, and that's, that's that's a great point you make when you say it's too realistic because in those films we're not watching a Batman superhero. We're watching a Batman street vigilante. Right. And there's and there's nothing. I, maybe with the last film when we're getting into nuclear bombs going off, uh, you know, we're starting to get towards more of a superhero or save the planet or save the city kind of Batman. But all the Batmans leading up to it, it's a very grassroots, very localized very street fighter style of film whereas this one with superman dude i mean depending on how much of a tally you're taking on everything and when things are happening in metropolis and judging the size of metropolis if we're saying metropolis is new york city which is generally the accepted value it's like you know the major megalopolis of the united states uh how many people do you think got killed in that in those fights right (laughs) <laughs> well, they definitely have set it up where Metropolis can be the city of the future with you know, being rebuilt and to these, you know, futuristic looking skyscrapers and, you know, all the stuff we've seen from the comic books and from, you know, the cartoons and whatnot because the city's been destroyed now. You know, now they're rebuilding it and they can you can have LexCorp come in and, you know, really take over. And LexCorp was already there. Well, it was there, but well, they they did. It was one of the Easter, Easter eggs that they showed. There were there were a couple Easter eggs. I don't know if everybody amount. caught them, but there were a couple Easter eggs that they kind of threw to show the extra there's some universe missed, at, there's at some play. I picked up. So. Yeah, I mean there there were there were some. You know, there was the um, Wayne Enterprises. Uh, there was logo. a Wayne Enterprises satellite yeah. that they uh, fought that that Zod and Superman fought through at the end of the film. There's the Blaze Comics to introduce Booster Gold. Right, and and then of course we've got uh, LexCorp actually pops up three times on different billboards and buildings as they're destroying Metropolis. And right. the oil tanker on the last fight scene. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's also been in, like talks of the one of the pods inside the Arctic ship was it's supposedly maybe like Supergirl. Yeah. Um, that's an I mean that's an interesting way to do it, but you know you have that. But didn't that ship got dis- that ship got destroyed? I was about yeah, to but say the pod uh, was already open, pretty much every single gone. ship that had anything to do with Krypton ha- uh, it got blowed up real good. Uh, so unless she was in a pod that got jettisoned as an escape pod at some point, that we'd have to go back and really watch the film to see if an extra pod. Well, what it was well, no, there is, it a, is there is a pod because I'm seeing a picture of it right one now. One of there the is pods has like a mummified body in it, and then the other one that's like further in the shot is open so as in like somebody was already in oh there, oh yeah no out. i do remember what you're talking about i totally yeah when when uh clark superman up in the arctic is walking through for the first time and and uh lois is following him and there's the one that's popped open that's nobody's right. inside right yeah it's yeah. clamshelled open so yeah that's yeah where, that's where oh yeah in. that's that's totally an opening for Kara. okay i can see that that's uh, that's also the speculation there's also like the introduction of Star Labs with Dr. Hamilton. Right. Um, I forgot yeah. Uh, yeah, I forgot about the Hamilton uh, yeah. Star Labs one. Um and I think that's uh that's all I could think of. Uh, the other references I have no idea what they're referencing from, <laughs> so I couldn't help you there. <laughs> but But no, no, I mean even if those are just little easter eggs that they just threw in there which are, you know, really cool to have. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to develop into anything more, but they could. No, but it gives them the option. Right. It's it's nice to have it. You know, it's it's just like with, you know, um, Iron Man making the comment in Avengers about the life decoy model. You know, yeah. It sets it up that it's there. So yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's it's good. I I there's a lot of stuff. That, I mean, I, that I loved about this film. There are some things that I still kind of when I think back over them, I'm going, well, it wasn't really necessary. They could have done without that. Um, or why, you know, there was no real point of doing it this, you know, this way or that way. 
one of the big ones that stands out for me is when you have the the uh, Kryptonian ship and the what was it the world cre- the world uh, engine yes the world engine on each side of the of the uh, planet mm-hmm. you know we I think we even talked about this the other night when we were talking about how Superman instead of going above the Kryptonian ship and dropping his pod which would have you know severed the connection mm-hmm. and open the phantom uh, the phantom drive and sending everybody back to the phantom zone he chooses to go around the world to india where it's a world you know, the world ender that's or the you know the, the terraformer that's basically turning it into krypton and he's losing his powers so instead of taking the easier road he takes the one that you know just seems more pointless or to extend the film well, it was a movie standpoint well it, it gives us a gigantic fight against <laughs> the spider octopus machine well it just makes him seem like he's sacrificing more i guess as far as a movie goes like he's sacrificing his life even more i guess taking the hard route i don't know maybe that's that's my Uh, yeah but i don't get that because if he's that that doesn't make sense to me just because of the fact that if he's sacrificing more wouldn't it be harder tougher bigger deal to fight all the kryptonians on the ship that they're all defending and he's going to try to tell i mean like my whole argument was, why doesn't he take his pod, literally pick the damn thing up, fly <laughs> up into the stratosphere so he'll be outside of where the zone is being turned into the Kryptonian features where he's going to start losing his powers, and he just does a beeline, just dr- does a straight drop as fast as he can into bombs. the ship and just drop his his pod straight down onto the ship. It'll it. destroy the damn thing. Uh, and then similar? if he gets into that zone where it's going to start like destroying his powers, he's already built up terminal terminal velocity, so it's just going to go straight down no matter what. Right, and then mm-hmm. he's he's still going to survive at the end of it anyways because you know it, once it's severed, the connection's severed, you can get back into sunlight. Mm-hmm. No, I, I mean I know why they did it, and it was to create a, a bigger dramatic effect and to uh, you know. Uh, uh, put another fight into the scene and right. have him go save the entire planet other than just Metropolis. He's saving everyone all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives Lois and the humans, and uh, I forget which kind of ship it is, but it's a C-130 or whatever, the the gigantic Bombay door. Yeah, it's, uh, a, it's, it's a C-130 type. Uh, yeah, type uh, plane. I mean, it, it it creates more tension and more drama and gives all of them something to do. Uh, and it opens the world to a bigger situation, a bigger plot, and it, it makes it so Superman saves the entire world instead of just Metropolis. So I, I get, you know, the whole angle of why they're doing those things. But yeah, I, I, unless there was some kind of thing that I missed, unless there was some kind of story feature and some kind of point that they tried to make and I missed it. Uh, if you shut down one of them, the other one dies. Well, that was just Correct. it. They, yeah. there was, that was the point of it, was that they connect from one side of the world to the other, you know, and they they start, I guess, pulling yeah. the gravity field towards them. The gravity field was supposed to be, like, change, changing the inner workings of Earth or something, like the core of yeah. Earth to make it turn into Krypton or something. So, yeah, from what I gathered, from the way the they, they described it was you put two points on opposite ends, and then it sends the gravitational pulse back and through, mm-hmm. and that gravitational pulse basically changes the matter in the center of our planet, the core, and that makes the core start developing into the Kryptonian core, which then changes the gravity field, the atmosphere, and everything else around it. Well, am right. I mistaking, or did they say that it was uh, when they were talking to the uh, to the doctors and everybody with you know the government? Didn't they say that it was expanding the Earth? That I didn't catch that. I didn't catch that either. I, I could have swore that they made a comment that it was expanding the Earth, but it, it just kind of got blown over real quick. If that's the case, I mean, the images they show, like, on their computer screens was showing, like, the inner core was getting smaller. So I don't know. Maybe that's very odd. I now I got to go watch it again? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, but hopefully someone will call me this time if they decide to go see it again. Now, speaking of the C-130, when I was sitting there watching the C-130 and the um, the jets, you know, the military jets, which, by the way, I think they were using Raptors again, the F-22s. Um, was it 22s or 35s? They might have been F-35s. 
the average moviegoer wouldn't know the difference. They're like, anyways, oh, those are anyways, on. anyways, they're using a plane. <laughs> they're using once again, we're in a movie. They're using a jet that's not officially used, that being used by the military yet. Well, that don't matter. It looks cool. Yeah, it's still it looks it's it's more of the stealth fighter that looks cool. Cool's hell looking fighter. Come on. Um. Anyways, when they're going towards it, it just kept. I just kept expecting. You know, a days or a uh, Independence Day type reference because it just for me felt exactly like that scene when all of the jets are going after Bill Pullman and uh, I, I wanted Randy, Randy Quaid, Quaid a drunken Wayne, Randy Quaid, to make wasn't some there kind like, of comment. Wasn't there some sort of like speech going on too? And I, I think I turned to uh, whoever, or I think it was John. I turned Nick to, I turned to him and I was like, "And today is our Independence Day," because it felt like so much like Independence Day. <laughs> I just, you know, it, it probably wasn't, but it just, it just gave that feel to me when I was sitting there watching it. Um, what do you think of Amy Adams? Uh, I, I adore and love Amy Adams. I think she's, she has the potential to be the best actress of this generation. Uh, okay. You know, unless somebody else pops up and takes it from her, she, she could be like the Meryl Streep of this generation. Uh, but she didn't quite fulfilled the lowest lane for me that I know and love from the comic books and the cartoons and honestly from the other movies. She's getting um, a lot of heat because of the slowest lane. Um, well, no, you know, uh, honestly, she did a brilliant job. She did. I and mean. the way the character was written, uh, I don't know if they needed to reinforce Lois Lane's toughness as I know it more for her mm-hmm. or if that's... I, I don't know if this is a... A, a choice made by Zack Snyder and Amy Adams, or if it's something that they felt they got, and I just didn't, it didn't come across to me as a viewer. But I thought she uh, got made great connections with all the other actors. I thought she was extremely sincere and honest and open and, and did a wonderful job with all the personal scenes with Clark and with, with all the other actors. Which, by the way, there weren't that many with Clark. Well, there were, and there's the most climactic scene, which is awesome between the two of them. But, um, but I didn't get that I'm a tough chick from her. I didn't get that I'll talk back at you. It, and it felt as though she just didn't have that I'm a tough broad mm-hmm. kind of thing going that Wait, I've no, I seen totally in the agree. past. I totally agree. Um, my thing was that she was missing the attitude that Lois Lane usually has, and that's kind of like what threw me off. It seemed like they were trying to give a little bit of it in the beginning when she gets to the North Pole or to Alaska. Oh, very much so. I and mean, they tried to is, establish it, especially when she's like, if we're done measuring dicks here. Right, and she's holding her own there. But as soon as she got back and she was confronting, you know, or uh, Perry confronted her, she seemed to lose it. And that, from that point on, she seemed not to have it. And the lowest lane that I always remember stands up to Perry White and just lets him have it. And it says, you know what, Perry, you can tell me what to do, but I'm doing it my own way, and you know my way's better. Now, and you know what's funny is, you know, call me a flip-flopper or whatever. I actually, to put home the point of how different and special Clark was and how big of a deal it was of what she had seen, I actually really loved the juxtaposition of and this is where it kind of fell short for me with with Lois was usually, you know, she's a stick up, you know, don't screw with me. I can take anybody on kind of chick. And uh, I'm sorry, she's a take on anyone, you know, take no names kind of, you know, strong, independent woman. And instead <laughs> way to catch yourself. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And instead she goes to Perry and she and he's like, I know you saw something da, 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 and they're kind of having this argument. And he goes, I want you to drop it. And she goes, OK, yeah. And he's like, I'm sorry, wait, what? And I actually really like that because, unfortunately, knowing the past, uh, I think the writers know that the audience knows the history of Lois Lane. So when she doesn't put up a fight and doesn't put up an argument, it's like, whoa, something's really wrong. So I thought that was really cool and a fun juxtaposition for the character. and And it drove home how different and how special this alien was that she saw because normally she'd be like, screw you, I'm taking this to my grave and I'm going to fight until I get it out there. And she just walked away from it. it. It showed how profound and how special this moment was. But because I didn't get how tough Lois Lane normally is, 
from Amy Adams, then it didn't drive home that point as strongly as it could have. Well, okay, here's another point. Lois Lane has always been, you know, she she was tough, she was strong, she could handle her own, but she was always the damsel in distress. Do you think that they were still trying to hold on to that little bit of that damsel in distress? Because nowadays in film, I don't care what female character it is, you very rarely see the damsel in distress anymore. You okay, so here's my thing. Tell me one point in this Man of Steel film where you see Lois Lane as a damsel in distress. Well, I know. That's just it. You really you don't see her. Even when she's on the ship, she's not a damsel in distress. She's Dude, still... when she's on the ship, she's shooting Kryptonians left and right, escaping mm-hmm. on her own and taking off and beating down. Well, she had... She had Jorel's help with that one. I understand. I understand <laughs> no, that she I'm had Jorel's help. But still, yeah. You know, but she, she's she's dropping dudes left and right. Yeah. And they're Kryptonians. I and I get that she has a Kryptonian gun and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I get that Jorel's helping her and she has a weapon and all that kind of stuff that can you know a weapon that can take them out. But dude, it's not like she's like hiding in a corner, you know, whimpering and shivering. Right. She's not a damsel in distress. Right. No. She uh, grabs a gun and goes shoot left, and she shoots well, left, and then it, she's like, "All right, where do I go?" And she's running, following him, and and it's you know her her adrenaline is off the charts and she's freaking out <laughs> and she's trying to keep up with it all but there's I, at no point do i see her really scared i see her like mm-hmm. going at it taking right. pe- taking taking names well, and and uh, you know to get to another point in the film uh when she's on the C130 and she's the one with the key to the pod mm-hmm. i mean yeah i had a big problem with that point in the film but it's another point of her like, nah, she's doing everything. She's in the plane. She's going for it. She's not cowering at any point. Right. Well, here's a question, too, because uh, I read this on, uh, I guess they were interviewing Zack Snyder about, you know, like how he came up with the thought process for this movie and everything. And he, he along with Warner Brothers, said they wanted to make this something completely different from any story of Superman that you've been told before, as far as movies go, as far as, you know, comics things, they wanted to try to do very many different things that people are normally used to with Superman and his story. Do you think like, these are the kind of changes they did to make that happen? Or did you see that at all in the film or anything? I'm sorry, what changes? Uh, there, there no, as far as like... Because as far as I can tell, uh, we've got, uh, you know... Zod with his group coming to Earth, mm-hmm. which coming the, from by the, the way, the, it was zone. still it was which still I mean, the same Zod group. If, if you look at it, yeah, yeah you it's, it's the, the exact same group. It's a total homage to it's still Superman Ursa, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's still the bit. I forget the big dude's name, but it's you've still got Ursa is fighting with the big giant guy. Yeah, and he mm-hmm. doesn't you know he doesn't speak doesn't he doesn't speak. He's in a helmet the whole time. Yeah, and maybe it's more uh, thought towards the ending of the film than the whole film in general. You know, well, here's the thing. I'm I'm kind of being like a, a not so much devil's advocate, but I'm kind of being a counterpoint to it. I mean, there is a lot different in this film. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the overall, this is all my opinion, but if you look at the overall telling of this Man of Steel, it, it very much feels like uh, Superman and Clark Kent are very alien on this planet. And alien in attitude, alien in in presentation, mm-hmm. uh, alien in society. It, it's, I mean, when we start the film, we're with Nomad uh, Superman, which uh, I forget it, where it happened in the books, but happened in the comic books where there's a there's a time period where there's a Nomad Superman, Superman where he's walk, is walking for for a long time. Yeah, it did. But he, in the but book. there's a Nomad Superman that's like trying to find his place and figure out where he fits in this world and what he's supposed to do with his powers and what he's supposed to do with himself and what his real calling is. Right. So. You know, that Nomad Superman, we haven't really had that before. So that's different. And uh, the level of destruction and the level of action and and just the power presence of how strong Superman and Zod and Kryptonians really are. Yeah. Uh, you know, we haven't seen that level of power displayed before. Um, the amount of time we spent in Krypton at the beginning of the movie, I loved it. Me and too. Russell Crowe was awesome as Jor-El. Uh, we've never had that much time and really developed that much Krypton in any of the movies before. So, yeah, it's it's a very different movie, but at the same time, when it's you look at so the different. core structure of point A to point Z of the storytelling, you know, it's Superman landing on Earth, it's 
well, the there, there Kent's were some raising him. It's Zod coming to find him. So I mean that that hasn't changed. There were some liberties taken with the with the origin story of it, but you know not not that much where you sit back and go, oh my god, they just completely ruined Superman. <laughs> but uh, so real quick back to Amy Adams, we can agree that her actions were stronger than her character was. You know, as far as as far as attitude, I mean, because all of her actions, she was you know, kick ass, take names later. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even with Zod, with uh, Jarrell's help or being on. Oh, the dude, s- well, like, what is it? Uh, they, uh, the Zod and Ursa come down to Earth, and they're like, "All right, we're taking Clark and we're taking the woman. Where's right. the woman, Lois Lane? We're taking both of them." Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, I can't for the life of me, I can't remember his name right now, but uh, the. The lovely uh, uh, Malone, Malone, who who was one of the uh, uh, you know generals. He wasn't a general, but one of Chris the military Maloney. men. Is it Chris uh, Maloney? What's that? Chris Maloney. Thank you. The guy Chris from Maloney is like you're not taking her. He basically steps up and is like, I'm not going to let you guys do that. No. You can have your own alien, but you're not going to take one of ours. And she turns to him and she's like, I'm going. Mm-hmm. Like you can't stop. Like like I'm going to go. So I mean, yeah, she's always. She's always very strong. She's always very independent. Um, it, it's just very interesting. Uh, it, it's it's hard to place it beyond saying that I just don't get that real. I'm I'm tough and bravado from her. Mm-hmm. I get that she's very strong. She was a very strong, you know, character and person and woman. But I didn't get the tough guy that she has been portrayed as you know, over the course of Superman. Well, we also remember this is the first one in the reboot of the series. You know, we're going to see her get tougher the more she's put in danger and things like that. So, in a way, she still has room to grow as a character Mm -hmm. or to evolve into the character we know throughout one or two or how many more films we put her in. I I will put this point on that I really liked for her was that uh, she was smart enough to figure out who Superman slash Clark Kent were. Yeah. Oh, no. I I loved Amy Adams in this film. I thought she was great. I I don't think there's a film I've watched with Amy Adams in it that I have not Mm -hmm. loved or thought she did a brilliant job. Oh, no. She's amazing. She's an amazing, amazing actress, and we're slurping on Amy Adams like crazy, but she deserves it. When I first, you know, heard her – as going to be the character, I was a little apprehensive. Not so much that I didn't think she could do it. It's just that, as you know, her character, what she portrays a lot of times, and just her herself, she's very soft-spoken. She's very, you know, this, you know, I want—I don't want to say innocent demeanor, but you know, she she does have this, this. No, she has an innocence to her, and she has a. a, a it's not weakness. Right. Don't don't no, mistake no, 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 it I'm, for I'm weakness. Saying, not, but she's no able to show vulnerability extremely well, and that's what I would place it on. She's she can be very vulnerable, and uh, she's been strong in other characters. I've seen her be very strong in other characters, um, but the the kind of stick out your chest bravado that I've seen in other Loises, which unfortunately for them I've grown to expect, is what I kind of expected here, and I didn't get it. So here's a list of the potential actresses that were up for the part of Lois. These Lane. were the ones that were considered uh, for her, her role. There was Natalie Portman. Nope. Charlotte Riley. I don't even know who that is. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, Anne Hathaway. Nah. Well, I, Anne Hathaway. I think see, Anne as Hathaway a second choice, it. I would say yes. Maybe. See, because I when you made the comment, you, um, can't, you can't do you can't do Anne Hathaway because she's already uh, Catwoman. Catwoman. W- but when you when you say um, you know that um, that Amy Adams is probably one of the greatest actresses of our time right now, and that yeah, you know, I think that the second one that if not better is right there with her is Anne Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Sure, I'm not going to argue on that point at all. There's, Anne Hathaway is just she's an amazing, amazing actress, and you can see this from the very first yeah, thing. Yeah, the the last yeah. three movies she's been in, she steals the show. Yeah, uh, Kristen Stewart was up for it. Oh God, no. <laughs> Let's see, Rachel McAdams. <laughs> okay, maybe. Um, let's see, Kristen, Kristen, uh, Kristen, Kristen Bell. Bell. Actually, Kristen Bell's got that attitude. I've seen that attitude before. Mm-hmm. Go watch Veronica Mars, and she has that kind of tough chick like. Yeah. Bring it on, boys! Kind of attitude. Yeah, Olivia Wilde, I can mm, see yeah. that. She has that toughness to her. Yeah, but I don't. Uh, I don't no, see. No, I don't see. Mila Kunis. Nope. 
Uh, I could see Kunis pulling it off, sure. You think so? And different. It would be much different, but I could see it happening. Jessica Biel. Interesting. That, that, that one right there is kind of interesting. Now, I kind of would have liked to have seen Jessica Biel do it. Uh, I, I would say easily head and shoulders. Uh, like, okay, so I love Amy Adams, and I thought she was great in it. I just missed a little bit. You know, we've rehashed that a million times. Right, of course. Uh, the only other person on that list, I mean, a lot of those interest me, and I'd love to see what their take was. I mean, I'd love to see what Natalie Portman or Mila Kunis's or Jessica Biel's take on that would be. It would be very interesting to see what their lowest lane is. Right. But the one that, like, stands out above the rest that makes me think it would be a really good fit and I could just automatically go, oh, yeah, they could do it, is Anne Hathaway. Yeah. yeah. Unless they wanted to pull a whole uh, Chris Evans thing with the Marvel Universe and – have him play the Human Torch and Captain America. Well, technically, <laughs> like, that that was not really. I mean, that was the Marvel universe. I don't, yeah, I don't know what like, you're talking about, Ethan. But that was also Fox. Chris, e Chris Evans is, oh, is Captain, Captain America. America. What are you talking about? <laughs> he made this small little independent movie with there, Sony. There hasn't been a Fantastic Four movie yet. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, the little independent movie Sony did a little yeah. while ago. I, 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 it's hard for me to. I, I don't. I can't picture it in my head. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm gonna have to show you one time. I think I got it. Uh, imported from europe or something I'm oh awesome i'll be sure not to be there right oh, okay. thanks <laughs> we'll put it on in 3d and see what happens actually no. actually he and chicklets were awesome in that but moving on <laughs> yeah now he so he, you did see it <laughs> he, he was he was no, really good I didn't say that. he was a really good human torch but he was a great human torch but the rest of that movie was just trash anyways so, back to the man of steel <laughs> michael shannon oh he's awesome yes He's a great Zod. There's been a there's been some controversy about him too. Did he did he pull it off? You know, was he as I think he did a fantastic job. Tell me what he did not pull off. I no, I I think he I I didn't think that there was anything wrong with what he did. To the to the detractors I say tell me what he did not pull off. Mm. Give me specifics cuz I don't agree. Well, according to John after he saw it, he was upset that uh, General Zod never told Superman to kneel before him. So Are you kidding me? Yeah. That's your that's your big argument. That's against not my Zod. argument. That's John's argument. So. Well, yeah, then that's not Michael Shannon's fault. That's that's on Zack Snyder and the producers and Chris Nolan and all that kind of stuff. I know it's he's he's saying it, it mostly it as a joke. It would have been it would have been nice to have that little you know little <laughs> nod to Zod. You know what though? But that goes back to exactly what Ethan was just talking about when they interviewed Zack Snyder and they were asking him about like you know, what you wanted to do with this film. And he goes, we wanted to make it as different as possible from everything else. Right. That's exactly why you don't do that scene, is so that you don't do a, an homage to anybody else. Mm -hmm. That's exactly why Cavill did not do a, you know, Christopher Reeves-style bumbling, you know, Clark Kent. It's right. mm -hmm. specifically because we're trying to do a departure from what has come before. So do you think it was... Um the best portrayal of Zod, you know, or do you think that Terrence Stamp is still right up there with it? Terrence Stamp did a great job. I remember in uh, Superman two. Well, okay, we're talking about Terrence fucking Stamp, right? So I refuse to ever say anything bad about Terrence Stamp mm -hmm. because it's Terrence Stamp. Yeah. So uh, no. Terrence Stamp's portrayal of Zod is brilliant. That was a, it and was I amazing. Think and Cannon so is Michael role. Shannon's. Like I think you just even with the tone of his voice and the like, you can feel like I don't even know how to explain it. You can just feel like he was angry the whole time. I think I like that well, a lot. To me, this betrayal of Zod, you could feel a little bit more sympathetic with than the original version, mm -hmm. or I should say, the original version of in cinema. And why do you think that is? Because I have a very specific reason for it. This portrayal of Zod, he was, you know, he was bred to be a general. He was bred to protect Krypton. And the way he felt and saw that the only way to protect Krypton was to keep it going. And that, you know, first of all, Jarrell broke the, the law by taking the Codex. Second of all, the only way that they were going to reclaim, you know, their genocidal planet is to have is through Clark and all of the you know the codex inside of him. So to me he was just doing his job. You know, he 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 was trying to protect Krypton and save them. 
See, for me, it was that they did the 45-minute or 30-minute background and showing the prologue of everything that happened on Krypton, which gave a whole base structure for who Zod really was and gave a base structure for who Jor-El really was and gave a base structure for what Krypton really was. We really got to lock into Zod as a character and as a, as a person, and we started to see what was happening in that planet. And we got to see what, where, when, and why he's actually coming to Earth and, and is the way he is. Mm -hmm. And it makes you lock in even stronger to who he is, both as a villain, as a character, and, and as, you know, uh, a flawed being. And when it comes to its ultimate end, and he says, I'm, you know, I, my job is to, and you see the emotion, that's a beauty of Michael Shannon's uh, portrayal of Zod mm -hmm. is when they shut down the world engine and they destroy his ship and all the buildings are crashing around them. Uh, Zod slams down to the ground and he, you know, crumples into the ground and Clark looks up and he goes, you took everything from me. You took my planet, you took my world. Uh, and he goes, I'm going to take everything from you because for Zod, he's one of those types of characters that gets the tunnel vision and it's all about saving his planet. Well, he said he said it from you know that you know they they gave the the comment about you know how Kryptonians weren't you know they weren't bred through intercourse anymore. They were bred through you know the matrix tubes, right? Basically, yeah. And that his job, you know, in his DNA, he was coded that his sole job was to protect Krypton, and. You know, when Clark took that away, he took away Krypton. He took over the way the last. In he Zod's took away mind. his only purpose. Right, mm -hmm. his, his his only purpose. All of the, you know, the, what the the pods that you know the embryonic pods were destroyed. So now there's no Krypton. There's no way that the Kryptonian people can come back. Right. And so Zod, you know, does what any good general would do. Once you take everything away, he's going to take it away from you. Well, and I think that's uh, slightly different, but uh, yeah, it's it's you you took away any purpose he had in the universe, so he was yeah he's 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 pushed over the edge to insanity, you know. Do you so since we're talking about the end and we're talking about that, how do you feel about how it ended? Uh, okay, so when I first initially, so obviously, if we're talking about this, we're assuming people have seen the movie. Um, At this point, yeah. When I when I, <laughs> I think first we gave away too many spoilers anyway, so I know, right? We've destroyed the film. We should start the entire podcast, go back to the top, and just <laughs> the beginning, scream out spoilers three or four times, and then start the actual podcast. Yeah, we'll put it in the comments. Um, but uh, when it was actually about to happen, I was kind of starting to do the no, don't, no, don't, don't, don't I'd... do it, because I could see where it was headed. And I actually was, it was, it took long enough in the film when they're struggling and Soups has Zod in a headlock and Zod's like, watch them die. I'm going to do it. And his eye beams are going nuts. I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay, get, just, uh, you could, you could throw him. You could throw him against a wall. You could throw him through a wall. You don't have to, don't, you just put don't your do hand what I think you're going to do. Eyes. Why couldn't he just fly up? I mean, it's right? Like, like <laughs> jump, like jump as hard as you can or, or, or like, Why? you know, throw yourself into a wall, whatever. But, and so when I initially saw it and he snaps his neck, I was like, no, you don't, oh, you don't kill. No, Superman doesn't kill. And then, you know, he lets out the now famous scream. Mm -hmm. and freaks out about what he's just done, and then falls into the arms of Lois and is completely distraught, and he's bawling his eyes out. And I'm like, wait, this is actually... After I initially saw it the first time and went home, I was like, that that pissed me the hell off. I was so upset that Superman killed. And then I went on the Internet, and I was like, damn it, <laughs> Superman doesn't kill. And I started researching... How you many did, times Superman has you killed, did what every or has book been involved fan. in killing? <laughs> Please Superman, tell me you didn't. Dude, Superman in the comic books has killed hundreds of people. Yeah, over the history of Superman comic books, he has killed hundreds of people. He has killed Zod two different times in the comic books. Well, Superman twenty two by John Byrne, he kills Zod. You know, he uses kryptonite. He uses kryptonite to kill Zod. Yeah, he erases that mofo. So I was like, I was like, wait. So the Man of Steel, who's got a code against killing everything, has killed, like, hundreds of people. So I was like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have as big a problem with this. <laughs> and I saw it a second time, 
and it came to that point, and I saw the emotion in the distraught, and then it cl it finally clicked, and I was a little slow on the uptake, and I was like, they're showing the major point in Superman's history where he has to be forced into the choice of do I kill or do I not kill? Right. Well, and also... that is his major, major, and I hope that's what it's going to be. This will be the thing that maybe like in Superman 2 or 3 or the Justice League movies, this will be the plot point or the, mm -hmm. uh, the flashback that they use as the point that, that told Superman, you know, Kal-El, uh, Clark Kent, I do not kill, I cannot kill, and this is, this is the point that formed his code against killing, mm -hmm. which if that's the case, if that's where they take it, I'm, uh, not only am I okay with it, I fully endorse it. Well, the funny thing is the way that you just said it was almost identical to why Zack Snyder decided to kill Zod at the end of the movie. Right, and I, I actually did read way that, that later on it. after seeing it a couple of times. I saw that, that Zack Snyder was like, the, I need the push. Right. I, like, I forget exactly how he described Snyder it. Snyder was very adamant about having Superman kill somebody in this movie. It originally was written that that uh, Zod returned to the Phantom Zone with everybody else. That was the original Goyer writing when he was writing alongside Chris Nolan. And Nolan, Nolan stepped up and said, do not have Superman kill anybody. Superman right. does not kill. They right. went to D.C., DC said Superman does not kill. Please Correct. don't put that in there. Snyder said, what if it's for the good reason? What if he's left with no other choice? And this is his defining moment of making that decision of I cannot kill, and this is why. We see why he cannot kill. And Well, he did what every director should do, and he fought for the reason behind his film and the reasoning why he wanted this certain thing to be in his film. I, I have mixed. Case. I really, I have mixed emotions about it. Because I think if DC really didn't want that, and he did it anyway, they would tell him to reshoot no. it. DC has no control over their films. Or Warner Brothers, either War way. Warner Brothers. Wait, what? DC has no control over the films. They that have doesn't make sense. No, they have, DC they, no, does they have not. Full, they don't have full control, but they get to speak about them and and influence them and. They're push where they go. They are but consultants. At the end of the day, Warner Brothers is well, making even with films. Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers has the final say so of a film. And that's uh, right. For said DC. That's time. why that's why you get the Green Lanterns and things the way they are. The Nolan films got to be a little bit different. No because of Christopher Nolan and who he is. But DC has no final say so over their films. Uh, whereas Marvel has final say so over their films. Even so, even with Warner Brothers, if they didn't, if, like you were mentioning before, if they didn't want that in their film, they wouldn't have put it in unless Zack Snyder made some sort of convincing uh, argument. Of I, I, like I said, I have mixed, I have mixed feelings about it. Um, well, I know when I saw it happen, I was kind of the same way you were, Travis. I was, I, I was sitting there going, oh, God, this is going to happen. No, please, no, come on. Lois, get in there. Somebody stop him from killing Zod. You know, you don't. First of all, you don't kill Zod. Second of all, you don't kill anybody. And that's when everybody in the theater and, told Rich to shut up. And I'm like, oh no, no. And then when he did it, I went, <gasps> and is that really what you did? I did. I really, I, I gasped just like that. And my <laughs> wife looked over at me and was like, "What? Are you kidding me? You know, she doesn't know the whole. She knows of Superman and then the lore, some of the lore behind it, but doesn't know everything. And you know, I said when we walked out, it's like. Superman does not kill. You do not put a gun in Batman's hand. These are these are fundamental rules that you do not do. But as you said, if this is the moment of truth, justice and you know, everything Superman and this is his defining moment, mm -hmm. then I can see where it works. And it also fits into Christopher Nolan's like uh I guess bubble of his superhero movies of showing the more human side of these superheroes. Because after he does it, you see the emotion that it brings to him. It brings a more, you know, like humanistic, you know, I guess, feeling to the or like it gives a well, better connection. One of the big problems the everybody has between DC and Marvel are DC's characters are usually larger than life. If you take Batman out of the equation, almost every single one of the DC characters are super, you know, they're they're they're. Superhuman, you know, they, they don't have the flaws that, that normal humans have, that you'd have with the Marvel characters. You mm -hmm. know, you don't have an alcoholic Aquaman. You know, you don't... Which that would be pretty, that would be pretty cool. cool. <laughs> what? 
<laughs> oh come on, alcoholic Aquaman would be great. Oh God. All right, I you. Wa- I want off this boat. You you would like it, but what I'm, you know what I'm saying though is, people are able to realize to relate to the Marvel characters because they have they human have, flaws. That's exactly where I was going. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and actually, it's been said many times before that Batman is a Marvel character trapped in the DC universe. He's <laughs> a flawed human character, whereas the other ones are monolithic, you know, superheroes. And it was nice to see see more of a humanistic, you know, even though he was alien in this movie, you know, S- Superman, or more alien in this film, it was nice to see that he still had some of those those humanistic decisions to make, you know, those, well, those he was moral raised decisions. on Earth. He was he was pretty then, essentially see, raised up, as a human. But see, that brings up a good point, though. If he was raised by, you know, Jonathan Kent, who, for all intents and purposes, Jonathan Kent is Uncle Ben in, you know, Spider-Man. He's the, he's the, the Yoda, the, you know, the, the mentor of this alien boy to try to get him to do what is right and to grow up to be a right moral person. Then the way it seems like most of the time with Superman the reason that he doesn't kill, one of the reasons he doesn't kill, is because of what's been instilled in him throughout his childhood. Right now, in this film, it was it's been brought up, you know, even by our own Chris, you know, who who brought up a good point that Jonathan Kent wasn't really used in this movie very well. I don't agree with that. I, I don't agree either. <laughs> that he he was kind of you know. The, the scenes were, you know, they were intercut of what's going on in his moment right now, so it'd relate to it, and that it really, you really didn't get that feel of that father figure of Jonathan Kent. You didn't completely really, disagree. You didn't when he was getting like bullied and he was no, pushed no, in front I, of the I, yard. I'm just or completely, I, I'm completely relaying, disagree with I'm that point. I'm relaying a message here. Okay, well, no, I mean, and even at that, that's a good point to talk about because if Chris didn't feel it, I don't know if he saw the same movie we all did or not <laughs> because. Every time that flashback happened with Jonathan Kent, you see the reason why he's telling Clark, you know, not to show you know, like show your abilities, not to do this, or teaching him why, why. Like yeah, he, people he, aren't ready for what you can do, and people aren't ready for you. And you know, we have the the school bus incident, right. and and he's talking to him on the back of the pickup truck, and like, you know, this is why we do this, and this is why we do that, and you're destined for greater things, and. Mm-hmm. You know, knowing knowing your place, and yeah, no, I, know I the right time, but, and so on and so forth. Yeah. To, to be fair, and devil's advocate here, I hope I'm relaying Chris's message right because if I'm not, I'm sure the hell I'm going to hear about it and get. Oh my, yeah, you will. He's going to read my fucking ass really bad on it, but mm-hmm. that's the way it kind of what when he was saying. That's the way I kind of took it as that. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't a linear movie like we'd normally expect. It was kind of, you know, he had these intercut of flashbacks trying to, whatever moment Superman Clark was in at that time, they would relate to it from his childhood. Now, I do agree with that, the the fact that the movie was kind of a uh, juxtaposition of itself, and it hopped around and bounced around mm-hmm. a lot. It was a little jagged, and, and think- uh, it was like, yeah, current flashback, current flashback, current flashback. Mm-hmm. I... I I get where that argument comes from. How would you think um, about how Jonathan died? Uh, I actually it's that's that's guy, one right? of my that's one of my nitpick pet peeves with the movie. I I was very very unhappy with how that played out. I don't know. It's, it's just, just like to I'm going to go save the dog. Oh wait, never mind. I'm just going to stay here and die. You stay there. I'm like, wait, what? What? To me, it just seemed no, like there's so not, much. Not okay. Time. Not okay. Like even if Clark didn't use any super speed or anything, he could have gotten there. He back. could have run out there. It used just seemed like there's so much time, and just pulled him back. Not even that. It was just like so much time before, like where the tornado was to where the no, car was. No, don't save me. The world's not. <laughs> the, these ten people that are under this bridge can't see your powers. Oh, that that yeah. You that. know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Ben Kenobi's sacrifice in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you you have that moment. Of was the twister Darth Vader? Yes, the twister yeah. was Darth Vader. Um, wow. I, uh, yeah, but see, here's the difference in that. Uh, the difference being that, uh, there was a very, very poignant message being made and there was a very, um, that, that was a huge, huge plot point of Obi-Wan telling Vader, you know, basically he's saying, don't strike me down. 
Like this is the nail. Not only is this the nail in your coffin, but uh, I'm going to become more powerful than you could ever imagine. So just don't do this. On top of which, he's sending a message to Luke, and he's given Luke that extra push to the next level. It's, um, it's the, there's it's there's the, a massive message being sent. It's the, to the sacrifice audience. in the hero's yeah. quest. It's happened. Yeah. Look at Lord of the Rings. Look at what Gan- you know Gandalf the Grey did. You can go through every movie right. that has that you know type of hero's quest to it. Except the with mentor, this one, he's like, "Don't show people how fucking cool you are because a tornado is about to hit me." <laughs> it, I still don't get it because he had enough the time sacrifice. to get <laughs> Now it's now it's a it's a well. Here's the thing: it's a personal message. It, that was stupid. That was loud. Uh, up up down down a, made an appearance in Nerdable. It was a personal message to Clark slash Superman slash Kal El. It was a personal thing to him. And it was a major, major turn of knowing when the right time is the right time to do something. But it lost its value to me because 10, 20 people under an overpass in Kansas were going to see him possibly do something amazing, which, you know, depending on how you put it, if he runs fast enough, which we've proven in past Superman iterations, he can run fast enough that people basically see a blur and can't even see what he's doing. Oh, please don't um, give it as a blur. Please. Uh, also, you could uh, have him just, w- like, run over, like, human speed, run over, and then shoulder, you know, his dad and run back with him and basically carry him back, and he could be using super strength the entire time to pull him back to the overpass. Mm-hmm. But to the people, it just seems like somebody got an adrenaline kick, ran out, and pulled him back just in time. That's what I've and been beat saying. The Could, tornado. No, couldn't. There's a simpler thing here, guys. Couldn't he have used his super breath to blow the tornado away? We've seen him blow, you know, strong enough to blow things away. Yeah, but that's also him being surrounded by those ten people. And he, you can't just close your lips together a little bit. And <laughs> And they're not going to see. They're not going to see the gust of wind I kick up and know what's going on. Well, I think we all can agree that he should have done something. <laughs> and he could have done bottom something. Bottom line, <laughs> he should have saved Jonathan Kent at that point. Bottom line is he couldn't save Jonathan Kent at that point because it, it was, as far as the hero's quest goes, you cannot yes, save. Yes, as that. far as the story goes, we couldn't. He the couldn't mentor survive. has to die. Yeah, I don't buy it. The mentor has to die. It just should have uh, been done differently, I think. It's just It's the catalyst that sends the, the hero on his journey that it, it it has to happen. But technically isn't this like not the catalyst because it's a flashback? No, it's the catalyst that sends him to leave and begins mm-hmm. his journey. I go guess, go on his nomad quest. I guess. To find himself. So what would you and that was pretty loud, sorry. Um, what would you give this movie a rating of? Oh, we're going on ratings now. Well, we're going to grade it. We're going to grade it. What do you think? How are we grading it? Out of ten? Um, no. We'll what do, are we scoring it? We'll How an, are we scoring it? We'll do an ABC. Uh, you know, oh, we're doing an ABC. Well, well, we'll go along with what um, Dave has done for the uh, Dashing Dave has done for the TV, you know, networks and TV shows. So we'll, okay, we'll continue with the the letter grade. What do you think? The letter grade it is. Go ahead, Travis. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to give it a right on the borderline of an A minus B plus. Uh, I'd say B plus as well. I was going to say A minus B plus. Uh, to me personally, I think it's uh, it's teetering on my second or third favorite movie of the summer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say that you know I I do have some big problems with it. I mean, why the hell Lois was ever let on the C-130 in the first place? And I don't know if we'll see deleted scenes for that, but that's BS to me. I mean, I can make up in my own mind why it happened, but I shouldn't have to do that because there's no reason that she would be put in harm's well, way to that extent. That's just stupid. Script, in the script way, remember, Jonathan, I mean, not Jonathan, but Zor, uh, Zorel, Jorel, wow, gives her the knowledge of how to do, right. activate it. And, and, then she, to, and then she runs to, to Superman and goes, I know how to do it. Right. And mm-hmm. tells him everything. So he goes and gets his pod. So then he goes, thanks. You gave me all the information. Get the hell out of here. I don't want you to die. I care about you. 
Um, I have major flaws with the movie. There's some stuff that I can't cope with, but overall, it's a great reboot and a great start to the to the new DC universe. Yeah, and, and for me, for me, I agree. I, you know, there's a lot of things that I had that were either you know disheartening, dis, you know, discomfort, or I just outright did not like. But it wasn't enough for me to say that I didn't like this film, or it's not a or it's a bad film. To me, it's the best Superman film been done. I think that the acting choices mm-hmm. by, you know, the, as far as casting wise was perfect. I totally agree. Um, and I think it is a great start. And if they can manage to put this this Superman into the Justice League universe, I think it would be great. Also, let's let's make a point of uh, we didn't see anybody getting saved in the film. There was there was if we're, we're, we're comparing New York to Metropolis, like what, three, four million people got killed at the, in the major mm-hmm. battle towards the end. Right. Yeah, that was kind of course, I loved, assuming I they were still in the buildings and all that stuff. It uh, was it was in the middle of the day, so I would love to see the contractors uh, billing for what it would take to rebuild Metropolis and Smallville because most of ask, them got just leveled. Just ask Lex Luthor. Didn't they do that like for Carl's Jr. commercial with the contractors? Well, no, they were doing it with the, with the the construction with the city workers about the streets and everything like that about their right. new. Yeah. So okay, so that's going to about wrap it up for us this week. Um, you can f- always follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash nerdables or at Twitter. Uh, we are at nerdables show and make sure you always go to our, fa- our, make sure, wow. Make sure you always go to our website for all the latest news and notes and anything nerd related. You almost forgot to send them where to send them. Huh? I did. I almost forgot. And please leave us some feedback. You can also uh, email us at feedback at nerdables.com. And we still have prize packs going on. So the first. Where's my Last of Us poster? Did you leave? You didn't even leave a comment. So <laughs> and you're on the show. Exactly. So I leave that up to our fans. If you listen to the show which we hope you do, please leave us a comment on our uh, iTunes and subscribe to the iTunes and leave us a comment so we can give you a Last of Us poster and the God of War hero uh, DLC content. We're talking to you, one fan. One fan. That one fan out there, leave us a comment. 